Be Anxious for Nothing. And uh, my name is Don Carr, one of the elders here at Grace Church, and uh, happy to be with you this morning. Anxiety is something that has uh, affected every generation, it would seem. Um, We're going to be looking, if you want to turn in your Bible somewhere, uh, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25 in a bit. But before we get there, just a little, um, some statistics that I found. um, And um, I'll tell you right up front that these are very dated, uh, almost 20 years old, but it's the largest study I could find, a research project analyzed, uh, involved analyzing 40,000 college students, 12,000 children ages 9 to 17 between 1942 and 1993. Uh, Again, rather dated, but I don't think, um, I think the trend you see uh, will will play out. This represented a cross-section of uh, kids uh, from cities, suburbs, rural areas, all different environments, And it found a steady and significantly large increase in anxiety levels in the last 30 years. Now, that's, again, 20 years ago. I don't think the trend is going the other direction. It's probably worse today if a a study was done similar to this. Now, of course, it recognized that genetics has something to do with this. I mean, it's pretty... Obvious that if you grew up in a household where there was a lot of anxiety, you're likely to catch that. But um, similar studies found that some of the reasons for this is a decrease in social connectedness. Now, remember, this is before smartphones. This was taken before they were as popular as they are today anyway. So, but because people were moving more often, uh, tended not to know their neighbors, became more and more isolated, uh, this rose the anxiety level, as well as uh, increases in what they called environmental dangers, uh, the crime rate, uh, this being, this, uh, again, this study being done uh, Much earlier, AIDS was an issue that we almost never hear about anymore, but that was a big thing then. Worrying about nuclear war, that kind of comes and goes. I mean, when I was a kid, all we had to worry about is duck and cover under our school desk, and that was going to protect us from the atomic bomb that uh, Russia was going to send. We didn't have anything else to worry about. But today, um, of course, we know better. And so... You know, with what's going on in Ukraine, I suppose there are some worried about nuclear war breaking out. Also, an increased rate among teenagers in suicide. The article said that virtually every uh, high school student knows somebody or knows somebody that knows somebody that has committed suicide. So that is big. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a couple different sessions on suicide, and I can tell you, that uh, those rates have only dramatically increased over the last 20 years uh, as 
the culture in general just becomes more and more void of uh, Scripture and uh, more secular. Uh, people seem, uh, tend to commit suicide more often as they see no, um, just no use, no, no way out. They, they don't know the Lord. So as far as adults go uh, today, um, people are concerned about inflation, uh, the prices of food, and gas prices. Uh, those, uh, those tend to affect people and becoming anxious. Stock market affecting your retirement account, the cost of um, housing, it just, just continues to go up and up and up. And again, some of these studies were done before smartphones. Here we have a, four individuals sitting at a table across from one another, all on their smartphones and not communicating with one another at all. And this, you would think that this would be rare, but this is more common than not. So people are isolated even when they're in public, isolated to their cell phones. Now, an interesting thing, and this is a different study, but scientists have found that really the more affluent countries experience more anxiety than a lower income. Now, these, these are percentages of, of how much time a person spends in anxiety in their lifetime. I mean, that's their... So low income is 1.6% of the time. Middle income, 2.8% of the time, and high income, 5% of the time. So the more money you have, the more anxiety you have about your money. Apparently, that's what that says. That's what that study says. So what do we do about dealing with anxiety? How are we going to deal with it? If you haven't turned already to Matthew chapter 6, please do so. I'm going to read uh, verses 25 through 34, and then we'll walk through that passage together. Christ speaking, this is sermon, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's about the middle of the sermon. Christ says, For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body and clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lily of the fields grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed, clothed himself like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this passage, uh, Christ preached on the Sermon on the Mount. We realize this was a couple thousand years ago, and yet throughout history, uh, people worry about anxiety. They become worried and need to be reminded. We pray that uh, you would open the hearts and minds here as we delve into this passage and look to see what it has to teach us. Uh, that you would open the hearts and minds to communicate through uh, me. Use the Holy Spirit to communicate your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the, the passage begins, the first few words there, for this reason. Of course, we need to look back a little bit and see what reason he's talking about, and I'm just going to refer to verse 24 that comes just before that, and it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So with that in mind, he says, For this reason. For this reason. Whether you're rich, middle class, or poor, as we've seen, anxiety can be an issue, and your attitude towards material possessions, money, as he says, manna, is a good indicator of your spiritual condition. We live in a very self-centered, self-serving, self-indulgent, materialistic culture, and as believers, we have to guard ourselves about worldly things. And even though we live in one of the wealthiest times in history of the world, really, uh, we tend to be more worried or anxious today than in years past. 100, 125 years ago, people could not imagine the luxuries that most people have today. Never mind the time uh, that Jesus was teaching this passage, much more um, simple times, if you will. I often think about my grandfather, who was born in about 1885 and lived to about 1970, early 70s. So he went from horse and buggies to watch people land on the moon in a very short period of time. When you think about history in general, I mean, there were periods of 400 years when virtually nothing happened. People just existed. And yet, our culture is speeding up, it seems, and not necessarily in a good way, but technology is moving on, and as technology moves on, we see in that same period of time that he was alive, we saw, we see... Uh, psychology moving in and uh, everything to replace God with science, 
you know, evolution, all of that stuff came in about that time in, those, in that period of time. So again, he says in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. In fact, during, in this passage, he mentions or the, the phrase, uh, do not be worried, appears three times. In verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34, and it's in all the tenses. It says, stop being worried, as if people are already worried. Don't be worried, don't start being worried, and don't even worry about the future. The heart of Jesus' message here is that you as believers who have faith in God need not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Because God is your master and he cares for you, stop being anxious about your life. In the, the idea of life here is your, your whole being, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, your entire being. He has control over all of it. And if you trust him and if you know him, there's no need to be anxious. In fact, if you are a believer... God has already given you the greatest gift he can give in his Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your salvation your eternal salvation so if he has given you that why would he not provide for you material things Don't be anxious then is not trusting God. If you are anxious, you're not trusting God for uh, that he would provide the provisions that you need. And when it comes to um, time, as a believer, when it comes time for the Lord to take us home, we know that we're torn between two worlds, as Paul was. We have relationships here. We have things we want to do. We have family. But, you know, if, we, if we're in a right mind, we understand that this is not our home. This world, and the more wicked it gets, is quite clearly not our home. Our home is in heaven, where we will spend eternity with God. And if we realize that the worst that can happen to us is that we die and go to be with the Lord, then we really should not be too concerned. Paul certainly wasn't concerned as he was in peril often. But one of the dangers of anxiety, which we've already looked at uh, is, has affected virtually every age, is that it can consume your thoughts. Even over a small matter can become so overwhelming to render us virtually useless for the kingdom. I mean, if we're, if we're believers, then the purpose we're here is 
as was mentioned this morning in the, in the main sanctuary, our purpose is to glorify God in our behavior and our holiness and our witnessing. And when that's done, when the Lord has, feels that we have accomplished those things, then we should be looking forward to heaven and not clinging on to this world. The psalmist um, says this in Psalm 94, 19, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. He's pointing out that his anxiety multiplies and multiplies until it just overconsumes his thoughts. And he has to remind himself to focus on the Lord, his consultations, and that it will delight his soul. Psalm 139, verse 23, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So a Christian's contentment in this world can be found really only in God, only in God. I mean, there's nothing in this world that should fulfill our contentment because this world is passing away. But our contentment should be in God alone. And why? Here's three reasons why. God owns all of his creation. God created all that exists. He is maintaining all that exists. And when he's done with this creation, he'll create a new creation. And he owns it all. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The first thing we need to remember is God owns all of his creation. There's nothing that he doesn't own. There's nothing that he cannot provide. There's nothing that, if he wants to give, can be held back because he owns it all. God controls the events of his creation. Not only does he own it all, but he is in control, sovereign control of all that happens. Nothing happens that is not within his control, within his sovereign power to, present, to uh, allow to happen. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. You know, we can get pretty anxious if we start watching the news with all that's going on in the world, and we get concerned about that. And God is allowing sin to take its course, and bad things happen. 
But if we're believers, again, we're not tied to this world. Our hope is in heaven and in God being in control of all these things, not to be anxious. Third, God provides everything we need for life. Provides everything right down to the air we breathe, the food we consume, the water we drink, all the things that maintain life. God is the one who supplies those. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. All that you need, God will provide. God will provide. We understand then that being anxious or being worried is the opposite of contentment. And as we've looked at, Christians should be content because God created all things, God controls all things, God is providing all things, then we should be content. The believer, for believer, contentment should be their default position, their attitude, their normal state of mind should be contentment if we are focusing in on, if we were thinking about God and who He is and what He has done and what He has provided, then the things of this world should be dim. Paul, a perfect example to us, has uh, had learned to live content in all circumstances. Now, we know the life of Paul. We know that he was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned, obviously under God's protection for what he was uh, asked to do. But Paul says this in Philippians 4, 11 and 12. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, I know how to get along in humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And again, Paul was content to be in whatever circumstance the Lord has put him in for the furtherance of the gospel. His focus then was on the gospel. He even says in another passage that I, you know, I, I am torn between two worlds. I know I need to be here and helping you, but at the same time, I want to go and I want to be with the Lord. He was torn in that way. He wasn't attached to this world and the things of this world. Verse 25 then, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. Now let's think about the times that Christ, the time that Christ was talking about this, the biblical times. I mean, they did not have the resources we have. They didn't go to the grocery store. They didn't turn on a tap in their house for water. You could not take food and water for granted. 
to the people he was speaking to. If it didn't rain, there would be a famine. There would be drought. There would be no food. We know that Israel had to go down to Egypt during such droughts. Because of the Nile River, they would still have food there. But in, um, in Israel, in the land there, that would, if it didn't rain, there was no food. There was drought. But today, I mean, we have to say, as far as history goes, we have an abundance of food. Even, um, even with the lockdowns and the supply chain issues and inflation, I mean, we are not in want for food. In fact, we even have organic food, and we have bottled water that comes from all around the world, and there is a restaurant for every price range and taste range. We should not be worried about food when we think about the people that the Lord was talking to in that time period who did not have any of those things, who depended upon rainfall, who depended on the Lord to provide the rain for their food and their water. He goes on and says, nor for your body. Do not worry about your physical needs of your body. Now, that's another thing that we tend to obsess on in our culture. A body beautiful. There are tons of health spas and gyms and other things that we use. It's another uh, study that I found in 2020, U.S. healthcare spent approximately $14.1 trillion, which averages about $12,500 a person on health care, which is a rather dramatic increase. Um, in 1960, health care was 5% of GDP, and in 2020, it was 20% of GDP. So we're spending much more money on our health and health care. And I think that sometimes, um, obviously technology has moved on and there's a lot more advancements and those are all good things. But we tend to want to think that we can just go to the doctor and, and get some medication or an operation to just live forever. Again, think about in Jesus' time. I mean, there you know, healthcare was pouring some oil on your wound. I mean, they didn't have the technology that we had today. They were more, much more focused on God's provision for their needs when we can sometimes focus on other things. Also, those who exercise in gyms, and there are many, many of them, gyms are all over the place, memberships are... I guess about $30 a month, people spend $660 a year on gym memberships to keep body beautiful. There's nothing wrong with these things. Um, Nothing wrong with wanting to stay healthy, with going to see the doctor, with taking the medication that they uh, prescribe for you. Um, The problem is when it becomes an obsession or an idol. Uh, an idol to remain healthy at all times, an obsession to keep your body um, beautiful, 
beyond simple care. We need to be careful with that also. And then he says, and to what you will put on. Now, let's face it, when Christ was giving this message on the hill there, and people had maybe one or two changes of clothes in their entire wardrobe. If that, probably, in many cases, just one change of clothes. Now, I've run across a couple different uh, surveys. This one says that the average person spends $161 a month on clothes. I find that very high, but it says women spend 76% more than men do. I don't find that hard to believe. And the average family of four spends about $1,800 a year on clothes, and $380 of that was shoes. Now, that may be a a good average, and the um, the two figures don't match up, so I'm assuming that single people spend more than a family of four. But um, either way, we spend a lot of money on clothes. We spend a lot of money on clothes, and we are very concerned about our looks. And again, there's nothing wrong with... um, Wanting to look nice, but there's a balance to all of this. Think about people throughout history, and, uh, and you would find that uh, particularly in very hard times, like in Christ times or during the Depression or whatever, I mean, people clothes were very hard to come by, and there was very little to wear. So we need to be cautious uh, with our attitude towards our clothes. Of course, we want to look our best, and uh, within reason, right? Within reason. But why does he say this? He goes on further. Is not life more than food and (coughs) and the body more than clothing? (coughs) Excuse me. He's not saying that food and care for the body and clothing is unnecessary. He's simply saying these things are not as important as our life. They are not as important as what we do with our life to glorify God. Life is more than food and health, and clothing. We are called to worship God, to, to be a, um, a light in this world, to share the gospel, to live for Him, to worship Him. In other words, he's trying to take people off, he's trying to keep them from focusing on earthly matters that tend to affect every era, some more than others and some um, some more severe than others, of course. But he says, think about your life, not these earthly things. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. 
that they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather in barns, and let your and let and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Now again, he's on a hillside uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and we can only imagine, and it was common for bird migrations in that area, for him to say, consider the birds that are in the air. He's using them as a uh, illustration. Let's consider them. They do not plant seed like you do. They do not harvest their crops like you do. They do not store their grain in barns for the coming year, and yet God cares for them. Aren't you worth more than those birds? If God feeds the birds, which are creatures, would he not feed you, the being who was made in the image of God? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get Jesus wrong here either. Jesus is not suggesting that the birds do not work for their food. The birds do not sit in a tree waiting for... God to supply them with a worm, right? I mean, they are diligent animals, birds, and they are very diligent about foraging for their food and caring for their young. They work hard. Christ is not saying here that God is going to supply all your needs without you participating in that. He's not saying that you don't have to plant seed, and you don't have to harvest, and you don't have to store your grain. He's simply saying, these birds don't do any of that. And why are you concerned about those things when he provides for them? Verse 27, and who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? This is another thing we don't think about sometimes, or maybe we lose our focus on it. But God has ordained the days of your life. God has ordained that. No amount of diet, no amount of exercise, no amount of vitamins, no amount of doctor visits are going to add a moment onto the days that God has ordained for your life already. Before time began. And again, all in moderation here. Each of those things have their place, but if we're fixated on them, if we are fixated on those things, believing that we're going to extend our life or worrying about them that they are going to shorten our life, We're not, we don't have a proper understanding of God and his sovereign control over our lives. And therefore, our worry is really foolishness, worse than foolishness, really. It's sin, not uh, trusting in the Lord again for our needs.
And now, uh, Jesus kind of goes over these things again, looking at them a little differently. In verse 28 through 30, he says, And why are you worried about clothing, obsessing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil. They do not spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory uh, did not close himself like one of these. But if God so closed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? So again, he's using an illustration on the hillside of where he's preaching. He's pointing out the lilies now. Notice the lilies here. You know, they did not toil at all. And the uh, God's creation, His amazing creation in the flowers that we observe in our lifetime, they are beyond anything that anybody can sew together. They are beyond any clothing that people can make, beyond what Solomon, and nobody has Solomon's uh, checking account, right? I mean, he was the richest man that ever lived. He could buy whatever there was out there, and he could not clothe himself like a flower because God, in his infinite creation ability, has clothed them far better than us. So why, if he is willing to clothe this flower that is today here and gone tomorrow, why on earth would he not supply you with clothing? Why are you worried about clothing? You of little faith. You of little faith. I think this is a major emphasis point of Christ at this point. He's saying, if you're concerned about all these things, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus gets right to the point. Your anxiety is caused by a lack of faith, a lack of faith in the provisions that God has provided, will provide. Verses 31 through 33. Do not be worried then, saying, What will I eat, or what will I drink, or what will I wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For unbelievers, this world is all that there is. This is all, this is the closest they're going to get to heaven, is in this world. They worship false gods like fame and fashion and money. Um, Some of them worship global warming, or they call it climate change now. They are basically worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Christians should be seeking after his kingdom and his righteousness. 
To seek after God's righteousness is to give our lives to the eternal work of our Heavenly Father. Your primary focus should not be on furthering the kingdom, not earthly temporal concerns. Instead of hungering for things of this world, hunger for righteousness. And this is, this is the key. This is the focus. You of little faith. In other words, their focus, their mind, their concerns were all on earthly things. They were not on heavenly things. They were not on why are we here? What is our purpose? What should I be doing? How can I live a more holy life? When people do that, again, their, their thoughts of earthly things diminish so to be overly concerned with worry and anxiety, he is saying this is sinful. It's sinful to be concerned with earthly things rather than heavenly things. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our new life is in heaven. Our new life is with God. It is not in this world. Keeping a proper perspective of that. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away and the roar of the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we be in holy conduct, in godliness? In holy conduct and godliness. In other words, this is all passing away. But we need to be storing up treasure in heaven with our godly behavior, with our sharing the gospel, with living for Christ. This is storing up treasure in heaven because this is all passing away. This is all passing away. But then Christ says, and all these things will be added to you. So your responsibility is to live for him, to live for Christ, to live a holy life. And all these earthly things, he promises to provide for you. If you're focused on God's work and your holiness, he promises to care for your earthly needs. Promises to care for your earthly needs. Again, this does not mean that because we live in a sin-filled world that there will not be illness, that there will not be sickness, there will not be death. Obviously, those things are all around us. But if we're focused on our heavenly hope, then we should not be overly concerned about earthly things. In verse 34, to finish up, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Now, making preparations for the future is a sensible thing to do. But it is foolish, again, to be anxious about what might happen, what could happen tomorrow. What if this happens? What if that happens? That simply uh, feeds that anxiety, feeds that anxiety until, again, you become really worthless for the kingdom because you are so fixated on worrying about tomorrow, worrying about the future. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We should focus on the day at hand and trust the Lord to get us through tomorrow. What the Lord is talking about here, uh, what he's focusing on, uh, is also called in the Scripture, walking in the Spirit. In other words, if we're walking in the flesh, and we're concerned about fleshly things, we're concerned about the, the things of this world, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. But if we are walking in the Spirit, we're thinking about spiritual things. We're thinking about how can we uh, further the kingdom? How can we, you know, bring glory to God? How can we be more holy? How can we spend more time in the Word? How can we spend more time in prayer And as we do that, then our mind is no longer focused on earthly things. Our mind then is focused on spiritual things. And if we trust the Lord, as he says in this passage, and this is not the only time, by the way, that he uh, gives this message. It's also recorded in Luke. Most people believe that it's not the same record of the same message, but that he gave this message a lot. He gave this message to people that he would encounter a lot. So it's, it is it's something very common to, uh, to mere mortals. But with the Holy Spirit, we can walk in a way that we don't live in anxiety and not be too fixated on this world, focus on the world to come heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're overwhelmed really with your promises that you give in this passage because we're so uh, mortal and we think about earthly things uh, as as a default to our sinful nature. But as we are redeemed by the blood of the cross, and as we focus on spiritual things more and more, our minds then are shifted from the earthly, from the temporal, to the eternal, to the holy, to the heavenlies. And then our concerns of this world fade away. Pray for help in that regard. Thank you for your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.